Sarah, you didn't fall asleep again, did you? Uh, no. No, I'm here. I'm here. All systems nominal command. Roger. Sarah, can I say that I'm so glad you decided to return to Aqua? Your mother's disappearance was hard on all of us. I want you to know that. Alex was one of our best recruits, just like you. Please. I'm here to build the future. And I need the money. Actually, right now, the money is the best thing for me to focus on. So if you don't mind... Right. Back to business. We need to find out what's causing those energy surges before we can continue base operations. This is your top priority. Hello, spacers. From Austin, Texas, Christopher Schmidt. Now, today's show, I'm joined with Nick Pettit. Nick is a teacher at Treehouse, which is an online web education company. He's also an independent VR game developer. On November 15th, he releases his first major game called Neptune Flux. Neptune Flux can be experienced on VR headsets like the Oculus Rift, HEC Vive, and PlayStation VR, but you can also play it on a PC, Mac, and PlayStation 4 as well. Before we get started, some notes on where I'll be and some words from our sponsors. Seasons of Comp 2016 The Alamo is almost here. It's taking place October 17th to the 18th in San Antonio, Texas. Learn from great speakers like Chris Coyer, Jen Simmons, Snook, Trent Walton, Sarah Jasner, Estelle Weil, and so many more. There's still time to register at cssdevconf.com. Again, that's cssdevconf.com. The ATX Web Film Series is showing documentaries, What Comes Next is the Future, and The Code, Bridging the Gender Gap, on October 3rd at the Alamo Drafthouse Theater on South Mar. So if you live in Austin, Texas, and you're free, please come check it out. Matt, the director of What Comes Next in the Future, is going to be there in person. We're going to have panel discussions about our industry after the two films. It's sort of like a mini tech film festival. You can check out more details at atxwebfilmseries.com. Did you know that you can set it and forget it with an unbreaking space show newsletter? Whenever a new episode is ready, you can have it delivered straight to your inbox just by signing up at newsletter.com nonbreakingspace.tv As always, you can find show notes and links discussed in today's episode at nonbreakingspace.tv Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Telject T-E-L-E-J-E-C-T And as always, thank you for subscribing, commenting, liking, and telling others about Nonbreaking Space Show. Now, engage. Uh, yeah, again, thanks for, for being on the show. And I um, wanted to have you on the show for a while, actually. So uh, let's talk about uh, um, your, your role over at uh, Treehouse, but also um, what you're working on right now, the, the game development project that you're, they're working on. And, yeah. Um, so with that, but, uh, but we always ask the question is, uh, how did you get involved in the web? What was your first exposure to the web? And uh, what made you decide to focus a lot of stuff on, on, on the web? initially um you know i think when i was it was like when i was 10 or 11 years old i remember being exposed to to front page and uh i liked it because it was this tiny part of my life that i could exert some kind of control over um i my dad was doing uh some stuff with with front page he he's done quite a lot of uh web stuff um and he showed me that i can drag out a table and start putting images in it and that's that's how i was able to lay out my site and um when i saw that i was like this is pretty cool i uh, i can make a website the way i want to make it um so yeah i I think it was around then that I first got exposed to it. And it what like that wasn't really the moment where I was like, oh yeah, this is definitely what I'm gonna do for a career. It was um sort of just a, a parallel thread um that it that was there for a long time and I kind of just did off and on um until I got a little bit more serious about it and probably in college. So what what websites were you building at ten and eleven years old? Um, so I, uh, 
I remember I was 11 and, and I remember that because um, my mom showed me an article in the newspaper and uh, a another kid had created the 10 year old page. And I thought, oh, my gosh, my career is over. Uh, <laughs> I've been be- beaten by one year. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but I was I was just. You know, it was really kind of just like a personal website. Right. Um, I, I think I put up like my own strategies for games I was playing at the time. Um, I put up like pictures of the family dog. Uh, you know, it was kind of just all the things that are going on in the mind of an 11 year old, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Like, because when I teach, uh, the basics like of, of web design and stuff. It's really hard for some people who don't have that computer background to grasp. And I always, always tell them to uh, pick up uh, a hobby or some sort of passion that they like to and build a web page for that because it's it's a lot easier when you're designing content that you love. And then because you saw you have the hurdle of learning technology and even the basic things like file names and folder structures, you know, that they probably weren't ever exposed to. So, but I was just, I was interested because like most people I talk to, it's, uh, they build their websites for, for bands they like. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's pretty common. So, yeah. you know, it's interesting you mentioned folder structures, uh, because in just the past couple of years, that's actually something that we've had to focus a little bit more on at Treehouse. Um, and I've, so I've been teaching at Treehouse for six years now and, when I first started, you know, we we taught basic front end stuff, and I I don't know files and folders never really came up a whole lot uh, as a specific standalone topic. And as the years went on, um, you know, we made lots more courses. The company grew. We refreshed some of the first courses we did, uh, actually several times. Uh, we built a forum and something that kept coming up in the forum was uh was students that didn't know where they saved files they said i saved my index.html i don't know where where it is and i'm like how do you not know where this is like i I couldn't figure it out i was was like what like what are we doing wrong here because it kept coming up over and over and over like it started getting more frequent and i finally figured out you know that a lot of students don't have exposure to the file system. And I was like, yeah, I mean, what, when would they? Uh, because Facebook is just kind of in the browser or like an app on your phone. And that's how you listen to music. It's just all in like Spotify or something. And, it, you know, they didn't have the same experience I did of stealing music off of Napster and organizing all of it into nice files and folders, right? That's That's how I learned growing up. Uh, So I was like, yeah, wow, that makes total sense. Uh, Files and folders are actually starting to become a little bit more of a programmer-y thing. Uh, Anyway, aside, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it's, it was, uh, because, yeah, it it, it comes an issue, because I taught uh, at my college, my alma mater for a while, and then I taught online for a while, and it was always a hard thing because, because uh, you're 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 kind of distance yourself when you teach online, and you're trying to teach someone like hey, file names and file structures, and, and if they're not exposed to it, and especially with the iOS devices, when they don't need to be worried about file names and structures, like you just said, it was just like, um, and subscriber services where you're not really owning the content anymore, right? You, it's not like a Blu-ray disc. Like you were like, Hey, I'm putting it into a, a folder, you know, it's like, or your email. Cause your email is just, you know, you know, with Gmail, it's always archived somewhere, you know, it's always in the cloud. So you don't have to, it never disappears. So, and so when you're trying to tell someone like, no, you have to be very specific about where you're pulling this from. They're like, why? Like, why? Like, well, that's computers. That's how they work. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, so yeah. So how did you, patch that up or like how, how you address it well i mean when we were going through an, another round of uh, course refreshes uh i saw it coming up more and more frequently i mean we didn't let it blow up into a massive problem but i was like okay this is like something we're gonna need to actually 
talk about uh, in the course. Another solution uh, we came up with that addressed a number of problems, that one included, uh, is what we call workspaces, which is basically, um, it's it's a text editor in the browser, but it it's also more than that uh, because... You know, you can spin up servers, uh, get access to the console. Um, behind the scenes, you're basically spinning up a, a virtual machine when you open up um, a treehouse workspace. Um, and, you know, it's it's all contained and secure and stuff. Um, we've we had a few instances in the past where we discovered things <laughs> after the fact, but the, it's pretty patched up at this point. Um but uh, but that helps solve it a little bit um, in the more beginner courses, and eventually, you know, we like students to to kind of graduate to uh, running running things locally and you know stuff like that. But um, that kind of gets over the initial hurdle of like just getting started with HTML um, things like that. Yeah. And then, uh, what type of games were you, were you playing? Because uh, you said you you, you uh, built web pages for for strategies for games. <laughs> yeah, um, it was real time strategy games. Uh, so pretty much the Blizzard games at the time. So Warcraft and Starcraft um, were the ones I was super duper into growing up. Yeah. Um, what was your first, I guess, job dealing with web? Uh, my first job uh, was as just self-employed basically i um you know it was all like all the most horrible stuff you don't want to do so just like no contracts no nothing i was like 14 or 15 years old uh just over the summer i was like yeah i know some people that need websites and logos and things and just kind of um yeah just just started doing that and then i guess Professionally, um, it'd probably be while I was still in college. I uh, I got an internship at a healthcare consulting firm, and that ended up turning into a, a full time job. So there, I was writing PHP, and it was for this database that had um, millions and millions of records. All you know, a lot of it containing sensitive. HIPAA data, so we always had to be very careful about that um, because uh, that's there's pretty strict requirements around that. Like if you have one slip up, it's pretty much the end of the company. <laughs> so, um, so that was that was a good first exposure to like real code, I guess. Because I, I mean, when I first came in for like the first week, I was thinking about just just quitting and telling my boss saying like, you know what? I'm sorry to waste your time. I'm in way over my head here. I have no idea what I'm doing. And then after like a month or two, I realized it was actually just the code that was really awful. Not my, you know, my lack of understanding. And and so I was like, okay, so that is what my job here really is about is, is untangling this mess. And so by the time, I left there. Um, we had done a pretty good job of getting it object-oriented. Um, we transferred a lot of software over to Ruby on Rails because that was kind of the the new hotness at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where were you at this time? Like what, what geographically? Was, yeah, where was college? You, you said. Like. So I went to school uh, at UCF, so the okay. University of Central Florida okay. in Orlando. Go Knights! Yeah, that's right. Um, that's where I, I currently live. I still am in Orlando. So I've been in Orlando about 10 years. Um, but I, I grew up in uh, Clearwater, Florida. So, yeah, so didn't go far. Um, went, to, went to Orlando and then, yeah, got a job out of, out of school well, while I was still in school and just kind of stuck around because it was convenient, low cost of living. I like, you know, not having snow. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I lived in Orlando for a while. It was, it was pretty nice. Yeah, I used to uh, work for a company called Mind Comet. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I'm familiar. So, you worked for a healthcare company. 
uh, PHP, Rails, object-oriented. So what was your next uh, uh, gig after that or job? Next thing after that was, was Treehouse. Treehouse, okay. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Is that sure. how long were you at the healthcare uh, job Ex- before, before exactly you? Exactly three years to the day. Three years to the day. And then what are you doing... Um, Doc type videos, were they called doc type at the time? Yes, yes, yes it was. So, yeah. so yeah, the, you know. And what was doc type? So people who don't know. Yeah, so doc type was a video podcast where each week we would teach a web design topic and a web development topic, and I did it with my buddy Jim Hoskins, and we did that for I think about a year and a half, um, and basically we started it while we were at this healthcare company because. Um, we, we wanted to do something together. I mean, we, we met each other, uh, actually in college, uh, at the game developers club. Oh, wow. So we, we met there cause we both wanted to make video games and then we realized that's really hard. And so we <laughs> got into more web stuff, um, pretty quickly there, but, but yeah, so we had a podcast, um, but that wasn't the first thing we did. We actually started a company because we wanted to do uh well we wanted to do something together we wanted to collaborate somehow so we we started the company thinking we would do client work so we started you know just seeking out clients and you know doing really small projects that we thought we could manage while going to school while having our internships and um we realized we kind of hated it we didn't like dealing with clients and that wasn't really something that we wanted to do all the time. And so, so we were like, okay, so we, we don't want to do that. So we'll make apps. We'll have this suite of apps, just like 37 signals, which is now known as Basecamp, of course. And, you know, they had all their apps and were very prolific bloggers and, and all that. So we're like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to make these apps and uh, we're going to just collect monthly recurring revenue and everything's just going to be perfect. Uh, It'll be really easy. Really Um, easy. Okay. Yeah. So we we built uh, uh, like one or two different things to completion, um, or at least very close to completion. And by the time we got to the end of it, uh, so so one of them was like home inventory software, because my dad's an accountant, and so my dad was always harping on me about like making sure you know I'm I'm insured with everything, and I'm you know all my ducks are in a row. And he's like, oh, you really should get insurance for your stuff or your you know for this that and the other and i was like i can't catalog all my stuff this is ridiculous like how am i ever going to do that so it's like you know i bet we could make this home inventory app make it really easy for people to inventory all of their uh physical belongings and then we could uh either have ads on the service or have it be a paid thing or the one I was most interested in was partner, partnering with insurance companies, uh, kind of in the same way that Mint has like credit card offers and things like that, right? Right. Um, so anyway, we got pretty far with that. It was pretty cool. It had some interesting features. Um, and when we were about to release it, we were like, do we really want this to be like potentially the next like five years of our lives where we're running this home inventory software thing and answering customer support and you know the database goes out and then what and you know we were just like i don't think this is really what we want to do and we didn't spend a ton of time on it uh, maybe like three to six months or something but certainly a good learning experience but anyway after all that we were like okay well we've learned a lot maybe we can uh teach some of the things we've learned to other people and uh, this was around the time where video blogging was kind of st- just starting to pick up traction. It was around like 2008, 2009. Um, and of course, Gary V or G- Gary Vaynerchuk had uh, his his show uh, on Wine Library, and he like really influenced influenced us a lot. We we're like, yeah, we should do video blogging because that's you know that that'll be really cool. So we started doing that, and um, that was pretty much what got us the job at uh, Treehouse, which actually back then was called Think Vitamin. Uh, 
it was Think Vitamin membership. Think Vitamin was the blog. And you can already start to see why we rebranded to a totally different name because it's it's really confusing to explain. Anyway, um, so we, uh, yeah, we did that. And um, we were starting to get some sponsorships and stuff. It was going pretty well. We were thinking about kind of doing like a paid version of it or, you know, we weren't really sure exactly what we were doing. But um, uh, then we got in touch with uh with ryan carson and at the time he was running his events business um so he had you know future web design future web apps um stuff like that and he had his his business carsonified and we were going to these events on the dime of the healthcare company and uh we were going to the one in miami it was future I think it's like future web apps or future web design. I can't remember which one. Um, and it was in February of 2010 and we were doing our podcast doc type and we, uh, we emailed Ryan and we were like, Hey, can we come interview some of your speakers? Like that would be really great for our podcast. And he was like, yeah, of course, whatever. Yeah, sure. Like, and he, they actually set us up in a little press room and I was like, this is super cool. Um, and so we, we did that and that's how we first met Ryan and, um, and then, you know, a couple months go by and in May of 2010, he, he tweeted that he was looking for a designer and a developer that could do screencasts. And I just, I emailed Jim right away. I was like, dude, this is us. Like we already have a ton of episodes to prove that we can do this on video. Um, so, yeah, so we emailed Ryan and he was like, oh, man, I thought you were like super successful or whatever already. And we're like, no, <laughs> we're, we're just, you know, just got our first jobs out of college here. Like we're um, so we. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's the rest cool. is history, as they say. Well, that's kind of cool. It's like kind of, a, it's kind of interesting how perceptions are are different online to their people. So totally. Sure. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All right, so that's how that's how it all started, right? Yeah, right. yeah, that's how Trios got started. It was just Jim and I in Orlando, and Ryan was in the UK actually, mm-hmm. and he he lived there for about ten years until he moved back to the United States, and he's in Portland, Oregon now. But uh, but yeah, for the first six months, it was just the three of us and a few different contract folks, and so. Pretty much every day, Jim and I would um, write a video and uh, shoot it and and upload it. So there'd be two new videos every day, um, which was kind of insane looking back. I don't know how we did that. Um, uh, But yeah, it was a a lot of hustle. Um, And yeah, then the company kind of started to pick up momentum because... Actually, at the time, so this is a funny story. At the time, um, you know, I, I had a pretty steady job in healthcare, right? And had like 401k and, of course, health insurance since it's a healthcare company and uh, all that, all the niceties, right? And, and I saw this opportunity and Ryan was basically like, well, we're going to try it out for three months. And if things don't work out, like, I'll help you guys get a job somewhere else. Like, and I trusted that because, uh, of course, Ryan had his events business and uh, and had lots of great connections. So I was like, yeah, we could just like get a, a job at like Facebook or something, you know. Right. Um, so I was like, this this seems like a a good roll of the dice for just being out of school. Um, and like I said, my dad was an is an accountant and he uh he was very much against this idea yeah he was like this is you know this is not good this is could this seems like a risk i don't know and, and i just kind of went went ahead and did it anyway yeah. well well it sounds like any, any parent really yeah yeah sure absolutely yeah. but uh about a year into treehouse uh my my dad uh got laid off from his, the bank he was working at 
Um, and he was kind of like, gosh, I don't know what, uh, what I should do. I'm kind of, he was kind of considering early retirement or like a part-time job or, or something. And that same week, Ryan came to me and, and, or, or came to all of us and said, Hey, do you, do you guys know anybody, uh, that is a really experienced accountant, but could work like part-time? Mm-hmm. Um, and, <laughs> and I just, I turned to everybody in the office that day. I was like, should I work with my dad? Do, do you think? <laughs> I, I was like, yeah, I kind of owe it to him for, you know, raising me. Okay. Uh, so I, I was like, yeah, that sounds fine. I mean, I, I love my dad. He's great. And, and so I, um, I, I said, yeah, I, I know somebody and, and he's been at the company ever since like, like five years now. So that's awesome. Yeah, so he he thought it wasn't a good idea, and now he works there too. So, <laughs> well, it's also our industry is so new. It's just like uh, I remember so many stories with uh, my relatives, and they're like, "Like I I love the web, I love web design, and I want to go do this thing." And it's like, "Well, why?" <laughs> just like, it's like, right? Well, it's it just seems kind of like a fad. Like, like I don't I don't think so. I think it's we here for a while. So, but yeah. Right. <laughs> But uh, but if you, I don't know it's like a if you, if you love what you do, you just gotta take the take the leap. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, so, definitely. And that's our moral for today, guys. Everyone who's listening, it's just like yep. just take it. <laughs> so just do uh, it. Just <laughs> do it. All right, um, cool. And um, so that's that's all. Your treehouse and um, uh, treehouse is awesome. So just uh, doing that. But I also want to talk to you today about games and since we talked so far you've games have been pretty pretty important part of your life yeah so like like i said i mean it's there there's a lot of different threads i think in in anybody's life and and that's kind of how games have been for me is i i've always loved playing games i mean i remember playing like when i was a little kid like four or five years old um i would play on our ibm pc and my, so we didn't have internet at, at home yet at the mm-hmm. time. And, but my dad had internet at the bank. Mm-hmm. So every day my, my dad would like, you know, this was kind of like the shareware era. And so he would download like some kind of thing, uh, you know, and bring it home on a floppy disk. And every day when my dad would come home and say, Hey dad, did you get like any new games today? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he, he was great. He, he he always had something. Um, so he he must have enjoyed it too. But uh, I remember experiencing like I, I remember being like five years old and playing like Wolfenstein and and Doom. Oh, yeah. Wolfenstein I mean, 3D. Oh yeah. And and you know this was before the ESRB and any kind of rating system, right? So it was probably like horribly inappropriate <laughs> for five year old. But I was like, wow, this is great. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just, so that was kind of, I think the first exposure to it that I really remember. And, uh, we were kind of a Nintendo household. So I remember growing up with an SNES and N64 and stuff. Um, when I got to college, I, I waited in line for two and a half days for Nintendo Wii. <laughs> yeah, that, that happens. So you, uh, well, you never went to a computer store. That was looked like it was a hole in the wall, uh, in a strip mall. So and, and they had like uh, their video games were on floppy disks in like the Ziploc bags. Yeah. Uh, no, so we ne- I never went to a computer store like that, but I did. We did go to computer shows, okay. uh, which was like a thing at the time. Um, and yeah, so there it would be at like some Floridian hotel or something. Uh, and and they would have like this expo hall of like all things computers. They'd be selling like joysticks and all this stuff. And I remember that's where we bought Myst. Uh, mm. Like you know, there there weren't a whole lot of CD-ROM games at the time, and uh, but that was like the one, right? Yeah. Everybody was raging about, and so uh, we we got that. And yeah, I remember buying lots of games that way. The, those computer shows. Um, so that, that was always. Was a fun thing, um, but yeah, I mean, 
after that, I guess it was in college, like I said, I, I joined the, uh, the Game Developers Club. And that, that is where I met Jim. And we, we ended up working at the healthcare company together and um, doing doc type and stuff. Um, but I joined the Game Developers Club and uh, I didn't really know a whole lot about programming at the time. Um, you know, I'd done, I've like messed around in front page and done some HTML stuff, but I like really hadn't done any actual if statements and logic and things before. And so um, I, I wasn't a whole lot of use to the Game Developers Club at, at first anyway. And, and so I went back to my dorm one night and I was like, all right, I really got to just like buckle down and learn this stuff. And so I, I, I bought, um, I bought C for dummies and C plus plus for dummies. And I read, I read both those books cover to cover and, um, you know, just kind of absorbed it. I was, I got really into, uh, building these little DOS games and, uh, doing, memory management in C++ and um, it was really fun and and I started doing some OpenGL programming and and did a little bit of stuff in the Game Developers Club, nothing serious, but that didn't last too, too long just because at the time, this was around like 2005, 2006, there weren't really a whole lot of great tools available for an independent game developer. Um, Releasing on a console was nearly impossible uh steam was still kind of hitting its stride it wasn't really kind of the de facto games marketplace yet uh and the tools available to independent developers were almost non-existent i mean you're pretty much writing your own game engine there was like one open source game engine that a lot of people used at the time and it was not that good so so that's why I kind of shied away from it uh, at the time. I was just like, this is too hard. I don't know how I'm ever going to get into this. Um, the resources for learning it were kind of like, hey, read this big giant book and you can make a, a spinning multicolored triangle on the screen with OpenGL. And I said, great. Uh, I was like, nah. I And I discovered CSS and javascript and i was like this this is great this has the immediacy that i'm looking for and the instant gratification of just typing something and seeing it work yeah there's nothing that i hate more than a tutorial that will like finally teach me something i've been wanting to learn but the end result is like some triangle or a rectangle and then i can color it i'm like that (laughs) that seems like step one right (laughs) you're like uh uh yeah no i i totally agree and so I, uh, I shied away from it, did web development for many, many years, and um, it was around, uh, around 2013. I was kind of keeping my eye on games, I guess, through Twitter and stuff. Um, I, was, I never lost my passion for playing games. I've played lots of games. I've, I have, oh gosh, I... I've taken weeks off work to play through games because uh, I just want to play through them from beginning to end. Right. Um, in 2011, I went to Seoul, Korea to watch StarCraft tournaments for two weeks. Oh, wow. Like, like that wasn't a stop on the trip. That was, was the trip. The trip. Like, that was the purpose of the trip. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, like, I love games. And uh, it was around 2013 where I saw, um, you know, the Unity game engine started to really pick up steam at the time or, or uh, pick up a lot of users and was getting a lot of interesting features. Um, I saw the Kickstarter for the Oculus Rift happen. Uh, and it was towards the end of 2013 where I was like, you know, I need to reassess this. Like I still want to be in games in some capacity. Um, and I think maybe now, like almost 10 years later, uh, it might be the right time for me to jump back in and just, as kind of like a, not a low level programmer, but somebody with artistic and software interests. Um, so, uh, so my new year's resolution, December, 2013 was to make a video game. 
And so I set off in, you know, the first few months of 2014. And I thought I could complete it in about a year. And uh, now I'm releasing that game in November 2016 this year. So it actually took about three years. Um, not one. <laughs> that sounds like round target though, right? Uh, r- right. Yeah. <laughs> no, for software. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, but I think the thing I grossly underestimated was just how much I had to learn. Um, oh, really? because, uh, the, the thing I, um, erroneously calculated in was that, well, I've worked on lots of large scale applications before and lots of different types of websites and software projects. I was like, yeah, I can totally just handle a game and I'll just kind of learn it on the fly. Um, but it's amazing um, how many different topics there are to know uh, in making a game. It's it's highly interdisciplinary, just like making websites, really. And each one of those topics is incredibly deep. I mean, you know, you've graphics and game design and game audio and, you know, writing a compelling story and all, all these things that are like you could spend a lifetime on and never truly master. Um, so I, uh, it was, it, my game actually started out as like a side scroller. I thought I'd make like a simple 2d side scroller, kind of like, I don't know, super Mario brothers or something like that. And, um, I, I got this idea of like, having this little uh, submarine kind of navigate through a cave system and you'd have to kind of shine your, your floodlights into the right direction to, to see stuff. Right. And that's, and that has like, I uh, just think about that. Just like that. It sets a mood already. Yeah. Sets a tone. Uh, yeah. Like you don't, you don't know what's going on. It's, you kind of put the users uh, on edge a little bit without even, going that far in the story, right? That's just... Exactly. I mean, and, you know, I, I picked a side-scroller in 2D graphics just because I thought that would be something that would be maybe a little bit easier and more tractable as a project. Um, but then uh, I saw that VR was really starting to... Uh, it, it looked like it was really going to take off. Um, it was really getting some traction and I was like, you know, if I'm just starting out in this and just starting a game right now, I should try to shoot for like the bleeding edge of what's really possible. Um, and, and so I got, uh, I, I ordered my Oculus DK one, uh, development kit, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I, I was immediately like blown away. I was like, okay, yep, let's just throw out this whole side-scroller idea completely. <laughs> um, and what ended up happening is I, I took some of the ideas for the game and turned it into like this um, this 3D VR game um, where you, you are uh, you're in a deep-sea dive pod and you're sort of navigating the the ocean and looking for cool wreck sites. I didn't, I didn't really have a much of a concept for the game at that point, but I knew that, that I wanted that to be the setting um, just because I, I thought it was interesting. I hadn't really seen a deep sea adventure game yet and I wanted to do that. So um, the thing that I noticed about VR right away and all, all of the demos I was trying was that uh, there was a pretty deep emotional connection with the medium that I had not seen before, uh, in other mediums. And it, it was a lot more than just like, uh, like a 3d movie or something like that, because you get sensory deprivation in the same way you do when you like put on really nice headphones or something. It's, it's like headphones for your eyes almost, you know? And so it completely covers your, your peripheral vision and you can look around in 360 degrees and um and the other thing about vr is that you can see in stereo 3d and it turns out that has a pretty powerful psychological effect because a lot of our um a lot of our psychology is tied to binocular depth cues because when you're you know yeah when you're a cave person running from a saber-toothed tiger, you need binocular depth to 
uh, judge the size and distance of various threats, right? Um, so for those reasons, uh, when you see in stereo 3D, you can um, you can feel a lot more uh, of a range of emotions. So I think everybody's familiar with videos of people like freaking out when they're in VR because they're playing some kind of a horror game. Uh, and that's what goes viral on YouTube. But the same types of, uh, you know, there, there's a whole range of emotions that you can tap into, right? That uh, can have the same kind of powerful effect. Uh, so anyway, I noticed that and right away I was like, yeah, I need to create some kind of narrative game here. I, I want to do something that's really going to hammer on emotions. Um, because I think this, you know, I, I felt like VR could connect with people in a way that uh, no other medium really could. So, yeah. And then uh, the, uh. The trailer is out. Uh, you have a trailer for a game, and yes, uh, I was really impressed with the trailer. I was, uh, in terms of the story of it, like the uh, woman comes. You know, I, I to, we'll rehash it for you. You already know the story, but basically, just uh, just from what little, I'm just tell a little bit of it, and then uh, a woman comes back to work in deep sea exploration. Right, and he's looking for wrecks. I guess we're looking for metal, uh, and. Um, she's talking to her boss and her boss says like we miss your mom uh, she's yep. an asset and she's like well I'm really and she cuts cuts him off and says like well I'm just really here for the money pretty much and like and, and then that's like okay yeah sure let's you know get get back to it and then uh, and I felt like wow that sets a really great stage you set a really great table with that because you're also looking at uh, the deep sea settings and and uh, the nice the great graphics and stuff like that so I was just like wow this is this is really I, uh, like this is. If this is not your first game, I like oh, this is a really great first game. I thought if this is thanks, yeah, no, I mean I. So I've done a few little things here and there in uh, various game jams, which are kind of like I don't know a more familiar term to the web community might be hackathons. So it's basically like you make a game in twenty four to forty eight hours, and um, it's usually the results are pretty hilarious because you can't make a game in 24 to 48 hours. I mean, you can, but you have to be very creative and make some pretty severe cuts to what you do. So, um, and they're very much a trial by fire. I love doing game jams just because, you know, you always end up in these, uh, situations where you're doing something you're not comfortable doing. It's way outside your comfort zone. So like in one game jam, like I just happened to like, I'm not an audio expert by any means. I just happened to know um, the audio system within the Unity game engine. They're like, all right, you're doing audio for two days. I'm like, great. Like, I, I don't know what I'm doing, but I learned a lot in those two days. You know, it was um, so like if anybody's listening, looking to make games, I highly recommend doing game jams because it's um, such a great way to just dive right in and learn like you'll learn whether you want to or not <laughs> you're, you're gonna learn stuff um but yeah i mean other than game jams uh, this is my first game um and i think part of it comes from just playing a lot of games and wanting to make games for a long time and um i do have a few friends in the film industry like when i when i was first going into school i thought I wanted to do film and that lasted for about, I don't know, three to six months where I was like, uh, I, I don't want to move to Los Angeles and do the Hollywood thing for 10 years so that I can maybe someday direct Scooby-Doo five or something, you know, like I, I don't, <laughs> it's, it's really brutally hard. And, um, but I, I have a lot of friends that, that did do that, you know, and they, um, and now they're actually starting to work on really cool stuff. Uh, and so I, um, I guess part of it comes from that kind of mindset of thinking about, um, thinking about games in terms of a, a narrative medium. And then, um, sorry for my call. You're all right. You're all right. <laughs> all right. Um, 
Yeah. So, and you're so close to be done. Is that right? Or are you? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, I don't think we've said the name of the game. So the, the oh, game has, yeah. <laughs> the game right. is called Neptune flux mm-hmm. and, uh, it's a deep sea adventure game releasing on November 15th. Mm-hmm. Uh, assuming no train wrecks happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's always possible, but yep, everything looks good for November 15th. And it's, and, and it's a VR game, so it's going to be available on Oculus Rift. Is that right? Is that, uh, I'm not a yeah. VR person, so I have no idea. So like, no, no, it's okay. So, so yeah, it'll be available for uh, Rift, for HTC Vive, and it will also be available for PlayStation VR. And you can also play without a VR headset. Right. So you can play on PC and Mac through Steam. Um, which is also how you play the the Rift and Vive version. And you'll also be able to play just on a normal PlayStation 4 uh, with or without PlayStation VR. I'm not a big VR person, but uh, I think that's pretty awesome. They can actually build a game VR and also have a non-VR version as well. That's pretty, that's pretty sweet. The future well, is awesome. I yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that was something I, I designed from the beginning because... Okay. And and there's no gameplay differences, really. It's just kind of, it's sort of like the difference between watching a 2D movie and watching an IMAX movie. Right. You know, it's the same movie, um, but uh, you get kind of just a more enhanced experience, I guess. Right. Uh, but yeah, I I wanted to do that just because at the time that I started, it was very unclear how the VR market was really gonna. Right be uh by the time i was finished or if it would even ex- still exist uh it was impossible to really tell so um so yeah i i wanted to make sure i supported flat gaming as we call it uh, <laughs> or traditional screens um yeah. it's not really a good term for it yet but yeah, yeah. I, I bring my own bias to it because i remember uh vermal uh, markup languages for uh uh-huh for vr and so that was I did some things for Vermal, and I was just that was so hard to do. Like you know, now, I bet yeah, like the, the tools are way better now, and it's gotten a little bit better since then. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, I think. So. Things have improved. I, I, I was, uh, yeah, I hope so. But uh, well, but I do. Love the, I love the idea of like Samsung with your, your phone, and we would, I love that the hardware's gotten smaller. Uh huh. And yep. um, I just wish it was smaller. <laughs> so that's well, it'll. It'll get there. I mean, I think right now with VR, um, it's just getting started. It, it's har- it's hard to draw analogies, really. But um, I think in terms of the technology, I like to compare it to things like voice recognition or touchscreens, which kind of sucked for a long time. Um, like touchscreens in the 80s and 90s just like were not, it just seemed like they never worked right. Um, and... I remember voice recognition being promised forever, like flying cars. And I was like, yeah, that'll never happen. And now finally, you know, the, we, it, it's commonplace, you know, right. we, have, we have our phones and digital assistants and it's, it's a very normal thing. Um, and I think VR falls into the same category. It's one of those things that had this vision from like the seventies or eighties and, the technology has finally caught up to that vision. Um, It's it's finally reasonable to, to do that. And yeah, I mean, the obvious improvements are, yeah, of course it'll get higher resolution. Mm. The cost will come down. The size and weight will come down. Um, pretty normal tech stuff. Um, but I think the big innovation is going to be what types of things we see in the new medium because it's not just a peripheral like a like a gaming joystick or or a gamepad or something it's it's a new platform i think it's stands uh stands on its own and and uh i guess i i would compare it to like the web or mobile as a platform i think we could see a time uh not too long from now where Pretty much every business needs a VR presence of some kind. It's start, it's finding its foothold in gaming right now, but the applications stretch far beyond gaming. Um, same with augmented reality too, which are really kind of they're different, but they're really all the same industry. Right. Um, but yeah, I think 
I think just like how every web or, or every business needs a website and a phone app, um, it might not be long before every business needs some kind of a VR right. presence. Yeah, I could definitely get behind augmented reality a lot because I feel like, you know, even even a few years ago with uh, Yelp, with the monocle mm-hmm. concept they had, like if you were walking down the street, you could actually like you know unlock monocle and you actually like see which businesses are nearby yep. and walk around. I feel like oh that's that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah. Because you're you're in control, but you also don't have like a, a Google Glass like <laughs> things strapped to your head. So, yeah. But, so uh, the, I mean, the thing now with with augmented reality or or AR is that um, the the challenges involved are far greater than they are with with VR because you have to do um, well. It goes by a couple of names, but you have to do what's called inside out tracking or uh, SLAM, which stands for Simultaneous Localization and Mapping. Um, so that's the same thing that like self-driving car does. It's the same thing that the Mars rover does, where you have to map your environment in 3D and simultaneously localize yourself within that map and say, okay, I've made this map. Where am I in the map? And that way, you know, a self-driving car doesn't run into other cars, the Mars rover doesn't have to have commands issued to it to navigate around a rock. Like right. it can just yeah. do it and go in a kind of a straight line. Um, and for a, an augmented reality headset, you need to map that environment because you have to position the headset within that environment right. to have those 3d tracked objects look like they are locked in space um, and that it's, it's just as hard as it sounds. I mean, it, yeah. it's a very, very difficult problem. Right. Um, but it's a problem that's been like, you know, as long as VR, like I, I, I can put out vermol, right. Which is like mm-hmm. <clears throat> number of decades, but uh, it's also a problem that's been worked on as well. Like trying to find a self moving uh, robot that's been worked on for several decades now. And, and I mean, you have like iRobot, yep. you actually buy your robot and it actually like goes around your room. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't know your house at all until you like, turn it on. And even then, they'll forget you know your house what, what it looks like until if it turn if it turn, if you turn it off. So, um, but yeah, I, I feel like you know and with your phone having like the um, I forget what's called gyroscope or just uh, yep. being able to determine you know up and down and Pokemon Go, you know just this. I think that's uh, I don't know. I feel like that's a really great success story. I mean. It was, sure. It, it oh was, yeah. It was, it was crazy how big it is, but I don't know how how much it's dropped off since then. But uh, since the big explosion, but uh, but yeah, I feel like. Um, but but just not. I don't want you know. I don't think Pokemon's the quintessential example of AR, but I feel like it's. Um, but being able to to glean information on the go in your environment, I feel like that's pretty awesome. So. But, yeah, I mean, it certainly represents a, a good example. I yeah. guess for for people that are trying to figure out what AR might be useful for. Well, I mean, you can play games, and most people like games, so that's a, <laughs> that's a good example. Yeah, and that's not that's not bad. I mean, that industry is awesome. I think that's pretty pretty wonderful. I mean, like just it dwarfs the the, the film industry. That so, does. Yeah, so it just I'm not. Uh, I don't want to shortchange that by any stretch of but I don't want to or get a pressure whatsoever. So. Um, I just know I, I just feel like, like my, my example has always been, I think it's, I'm a, I feel like I'm broken record about this, but uh, I would love to have uh, my 3D uh, VR experience just be like the holograms in Star Wars, you know, when, when like Darth Vader is talking to, to his, uh, you know, his admirals or whatever. And just right, right. like, Hey, I would totally like deal with that and have that be a cool gaming experience and just, uh, and just have that and then have that be a shared experience in a conference room like or or hang out with people in the living room and play games with with a 3D hologram that Well, great. I mean, it it's pretty close. There there's some things in VR right now that you can you can play right now. One one that I've been playing a lot is called Rec Room. Rec room. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It it's a virtual rec room. You can go and play like ping pong with other people and you can you can chat with them. A lot of these VR headsets actually have a built-in microphone um so you can just you know, chat online. It's, it's, 
it's interesting because you're seeing a lot of the same ideas that you might have seen in like Ultima or The Sims Online or Second Life where you have this shared metaverse, but they're finally like, again, it's, it's, a, it's a case of the technology finally catching up to the vision mm-hmm. where you're like, ah, okay, here's kind of the things we were imagining with our 2D pixels that, you know, we now have these real shared environments that feel... Um, you know, a lot, a lot closer to the vision. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, there's tons of applications. I mean, it's, uh, there's, there's an Ikea app where you can actually build a kitchen. Oh, wow. Um, there's, uh, you know, it, it's just amazing to see some of the different applications that are, are coming out of it that are non-gaming. I think that's, I mean, I'm making a game, of course, but, I'm definitely interested in non-game applications just because I think that's really where it's going to find its foothold. There's a really cool one called Virtual Desktop, actually, that uh, I think with just, you know, slightly better pricing on the headsets, uh, better resolution, you know, I feel like we're just like a version or two away from a VR headset actually replacing a normal desktop computer. Yeah. Well, Um, well, what I love totally is the, uh, I I think this is what it is, like Samsung you buy a Samsung phone and then you slap that into your your controller mm-hmm. and that your phone is powerful enough to be your visual display into the VR world. And so, and I feel like people will gladly carry and interface with their phone rather than like say, pick up uh, a helmet or whatever and, and strap down on their face. If they, if they put it on like a, you know, a frame for their phone. Yeah. They'll mo- that's a more personal object, you know, that they, they, they take with them wherever they go. And they like, that's, that's more a casual input into a VR world. Yeah, totally. I mean, right now the, the hardware is kind of split between mobile VR, which is what that's called. Um, And the great thing about that is it's, it's VR. You can throw in a backpack. I mean, you just need the headset and a phone and you, it's all wireless and um, the headset itself is. So the Samsung gear VR, I think is, only like a hundred dollars or something. And then, I mean, of course you need the phone to go with it, but for most people that's kind of a sunk cost. They already have the phone. Um, so, so that's a really attractive option. And then there's, uh, I guess high end VR, right? Which is like your, your Oculus Rift, your HTC Vive. The things you get out of that are, you know, uh, much higher fidelity graphics, um, they have positional tracking, which turns out to be really, really important in a lot of instances. So that means you can actually move your head and not just look around and rotate, but also move positionally. So you can like lean around a corner um, or look under things. And, um, and you know, they, they provide two different experiences. But I think for... You know, mobile VR is very attractive to developers because uh, because consumers look at the two options and they say, "Wait, so I can buy the wireless headset for ninety nine bucks and just use my phone, or I can buy a desktop computer and right. this expen- this more expensive headset, and it has a wire. Why would I do that? You know, and, and I mean, if you've tried both, like you know the difference. And high end VR is kind of like what you want, but I think ultimately, like I said, I mean. It's, it's just like anything in technology. Like it'll become wireless. It'll become cheap. It'll probably, like, they'll probably become one and the same right. pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's only gonna get smaller and smaller, and less wires. So totally. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, um, I think it's a good time. How can people? Your game's coming out November fifteenth, or yep, November fifteenth. How can they find your game? Yeah. So. If- if you just go on Steam and search for Neptune Flux, uh, it should be on there. You can also go to NeptuneFlux.com. Um, I mean, it'll, it, it'll also be on the PlayStation Network. Uh, so it doesn't have a store presence there just yet, but it should soon. Yeah. And how can people find you elsewhere on the internet? So I'm, I'm on Twitter. I am at NickRP on Twitter. Uh, RP is just my middle and last name initial. Um, and yeah, I don't know. That's probably the best place to find me. I'm not, I'm not much for other social networks. I'm mostly on Twitter. Right. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for your time today, Nick. This has been great. This has been yeah. awesome. Yeah, no problem. It's been fun. And congratulations on the game. Thanks. That's awesome. Thanks. I'll, I'll take the congratulations when it's actually out. Oh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> take a rain check on it. Okay. Yeah, thanks. <laughs>